Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. Woo. We could continue that all day, right? <laughs> what a privilege and honor it is to be here. Hallelujah. Yeah, give a praise offering to the Lord. It's so amazing to be here with you this morning and share the bread of life. And again, it's, it's such an honor. I know our pastors are away. And so it's amazing that we have pastors that model for us what it is to live balanced lives. Amen. But if I know anything about them, they're probably watching us right now. And so what we're going to do is we're going to greet them. So on the count of three, I want us to turn around, look at the camera and say, we miss you, pastors. Here we go. One, two, three. We miss you, pastors. Woo! Hallelujah. 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 Today, God has given me a powerful word for you. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to be studying under the title, Secrets of a Stealth Ninja. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we're going to be reading from the text in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. Now, I know many of you guys are familiar with the story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. But I promise you that you've not heard it the way that God has given it to me. Because he's given me a very unique perspective on this, thus the title, Secrets of a Stealth Ninja. So turn to your neighbor and say, are you ready? Turn to your other neighbor and say, are you ready? <laughs> Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are excited to be here in your presence this morning, my God. And thank you so much for meeting us here, Lord. And so we just pray right now that you open our minds and you open our hearts, open our ears, Lord, so that we might hear what it is you have to say to us today, my God. Oh, Father, we don't want to leave the same way that we came in, Lord. We want to leave challenged. We want to leave stretched. And above all, we want to leave transformed. So speak to us, Lord. Use this humble vessel, my God, to speak to your people so that you and only you may receive the glory and the honor. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen, and amen. Now, many of you guys may not know, but my husband Sam and I just celebrated our 13-year anniversary this past December. Yeah. And we're pretty excited about that because him and I both came from families of separation and divorce. Now, I know for some of you guys, 13 years is not a long time. Some people here might have shoes older than that. <laughs> but for us, <laughs> we're pretty excited. And so because our families are the way they are, when we first got married, we didn't have a lot of people there to mentor us or to guide us along the process of, of, of marriage. And so there was many tough lessons, tough lessons that we had to learn on our own, tough life lessons, like sharing. Yes. I was not a good sharer when we got married, I'll be honest. <laughs> I grew up with two other siblings in my home, and we always shared a room. And so when I finally moved out on my own, I'm like, yes, this is it. I had a castle, and I was the queen. <laughs> and I remember when I moved out, I got one of those little railroad apartments. You know the apartments where you stand in one place, and you can look all the way to the back of the apartment, and that's about it? <laughs> that was my place. <laughs> but it was my castle. <laughs> 
And so when you came in, there was like a little eat-in kitchen and it was so small, I couldn't even fit like a full-size table. I had like a half-moon table with two little metal chairs. <laughs> and then you would go into the living room and I couldn't fit a full-size couch, so I had like a love seat and an ottoman. <laughs> and then the bedroom had just enough space for my bed. But it was my castle. <laughs> and I gotta be honest, things became interesting when Sam and I got married. <laughs> because I remember when we came back from our honeymoon the day that he moved into this castle. <laughs> because what was spacious and enormous for me was snug for two people. <laughs> and I remember that day like it was yesterday. He arrives and he had a few shoes. He had a few clothes. But he had bags and bags and bags of movies. And I want you to picture this. I'm not talking about like the little kitchen garbage bags. I'm talking about the big NYCHA Housing Authority jumbo size bags, guys. Bags. And not just like CDs. I'm talking about VHS tapes, guys. So I remember looking at him and thinking, where are we going to put all these movies? <laughs> so I tried in like my sweetest, cutest, nicest, newlywed voice, honey, you think maybe we could downsize a little? And you know what I got? I got the crazy eyes. Like, <laughs> what you talk about, woman? <laughs> because as we started to look through them, what I found is that he had assembled a pretty awesome collection of karate movies. Now, I didn't know this about him, and as we looked through, they starred people that I had heard of, Bruce Lee and Donnie Yen and Jet Li and Jackie Chan. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Those are classics, right? You can't find them. And so because I wanted to be a supportive wife, we found places to put them. So we have movies under the bed. We have movies in the one closet in the apartment. We have movies in the oven, okay? I'll be honest with you. <laughs> And little by little, because I want to be supportive, I would sit and I would watch these movies with him. And at first, it was a little rough for me because their lips never matched what they were saying. It was like kind of hard to keep up. I'm just being honest. Don't judge me. <laughs> but little by little, I would watch these movies and they started to grow on me. And my favorite of all the ones we used to watch were the ones with the ninjas in it. And I would love them because they were fast and they were agile and they would come onto the scene where like nobody expected them to, right? And my favorite was like the head of the pack. There was always this one ninja who had like master's level training, right? He was like covert, he was like stealthier than the others. I don't know if that's a word, but y'all know what I mean. And he was like more skilled than the rest, right? And inevitably in these movies, there was always a point, right? Just when you thought it was over, when the ninja would get caught, and it came time to figure out who they were. And that was like my favorite part. Like I'd be on the edge of my seat to see who this person was. And what I loved is that it was never who you thought it was. It'd be like, dun, 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 the governor's wife. <laughs> All right, the governor's daughter. It'd be like, dun, 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 the little farmer next door. <laughs> It'd be like the last person you thought that it would be. And that's what I love because the hero of the story was not at all who you expected them to be. And just like the ninjas in these movies, in the kingdom of God, the hero of the story is never who people think it's gonna be. So that means that there's still hope for you and for me. Because as people underestimate us, 
God knows what he has in store for us. Amen. And so as I studied the protagonists in these movies, I realized that there was reasons that they were successful. See, believe it or not, the secret to their strength was centered on three key areas. The areas of perspective, the areas of precision, and the area of power. Which brings us to today's reflection from Jesus, the ultimate stealth ninja of all time. Amen? Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. We're going to be reading from the New International Version. And the word of the Lord reads as such. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Lord, add blessing to his word. So even though we just began in verse 30, let me back up a little to just paint the picture about what's happening here today. In Luke chapter 10, verses 25, we find that Jesus is cornered once again by the Pharisees who are trying to trip him up. They stay doing that all the time. And so this translation says that they send an expert in, a, in the law to question him. And I want us to understand that this isn't a judge like we see today. It's not like Judge Judy, like Dr. Apollo from Caso Cerrado, right? That court show on Spanish television. Don't judge me. <laughs> This person was an expert in the Old Testament, right? So like a theologian, because they referred to the Old Testament as the law. And so this expert comes to him and asks him how to inherit eternal life. Jesus is on to him. Jesus knows what he's trying to do. So he flips the script and asks him to respond to the question. He says, what is written in the law and how do you read it? So the lawyer replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. But the expert in the law doesn't stop there. In verse 29, he follows up his statement with a question asking, who is my neighbor? So we don't even have to guess what this dude's motivation is, right? Scripture says that he was trying to justify himself. See, because he was hoping that Jesus would affirm his own biases and prejudices. See, because by asking who his neighbor was, the lawyer automatically created requisites for that love where some would qualify and others would not. But Jesus is on to him. 
Jesus sees what he's trying to do. And what he does is he replies with the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is what we just read. And what it does is that it describes the story of a man who we assume to be a Jew. We don't know for sure, but that is a general assumption, who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, I want us to get a mental picture of this journey because, see, this particular road wasn't like walking up Broadway, walking up Clinton Street here right near the church. This was a dangerous and difficult trip. See, the trip from beginning to end took somewhere from 16 to 18 miles. To put that in context, that's like leaving the church, going all the way up through Manhattan, all the way up to Washington Heights, all the way up through the Bronx and crossing that little bridge into Mount Vernon. Yeah, that's how far that trip was. And I want us to understand it wasn't these smooth, paved, concrete streets that we have today. It was hilly and it was rocky. As a matter of fact, there was a change in elevation of 3,000 feet. That's 30 stories. So it was steep. And there was twists and there was turns and places that robbers could hide. So it was dangerous. And as this man travels on this road, he's jumped. He's robbed and he's beaten within an inch of his life. And as he lay on the road, totally vulnerable, along passes a priest. Now we understand that priests were members of the tribe of Levi, right? They were direct descendants of Aaron and they had sacerdotal duties in the temple of Jerusalem. But what I find interesting, I don't know if this stands out for you guys, is that Jesus spends no time describing the priest. We don't know what he's wearing. We don't know what he was doing. We don't know what his day was like. The main characteristic that Jesus used to define the priest was his lack of compassion for the man. Where the world judges our acts, God judges our hearts. Mm. And so if there was anyone that should have had compassion for this man, it should have been this guy, the priest. But he didn't. He kept it moving. And next passes a Levite. And we understand a Levite was also a member of the tribe of Levi, but he was not a direct descendant of Aaron. And so therefore was not a priest. So the Levites assisted the priest in the same way that like a lay leader would help in the church today. Now, given both of their respective positions in the religious community, why didn't either of them stop? Maybe they were in a hurry. Or maybe they thought the guy was dead. But if that was the case, neither of them went over to check. They kept it moving. As a matter of fact, they said that they crossed to the other side of the road. Mm. And then the Samaritan rolls on to the scene. Now, it's interesting that Jesus just doesn't say, and another man, another person, another brother, another guy. He makes it a point to mention that the man was a Samaritan. Why? Because the Samaritans were the lowest of the low as, as, uh, 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 when it came to, to being per the perception that they had. See, the Samaritans were a racially mixed society. They had both Jewish and pagan ancestry. And as a result, they were seen as half-breeds. They were seen as impure and lower than the Jews. 
So how ironic is it that the guy that was rejected by popular culture was the one that Jesus praises in this story? He showed that love for one's neighbor is more important in God's eyes than adhering to religious rituals or abiding by superficial cultural boundaries. A lesson that's just as relevant for us today. And so just like the stealth ninjas in the movies that Sam and I used to watch, the person that ended up saving the day was the person that no one expected. And that's who Jesus gives the platform to. Now there are many here that maybe can relate to the Samaritan in this story. Maybe you haven't been invited to certain tables. Maybe you've been passed by for certain opportunities. Maybe you've been overlooked. Maybe you've been underestimated. Maybe you have been pushed to the side and judged by others. But like the stealth ninjas in the movies I described, and just like we see in this parable, heroes are born behind the scenes. Come on, somebody. See, a hero is not defined as somebody that can improve their own situation, but is defined by their ability to put their own knees to the side and improve the situation of somebody else. Church, we're in a new season where many things will be shaken up and a new generation of heroes needs to rise up. And I believe that there's some heroes in, in this place. There's some undercover heroes in this place. Some of you guys have remained hidden unto this point, but I'm here to tell you that God has a new season for you. And in that season, his justice will shine like the noonday sun. And when folks least expect it, God is going to use you to do incredible things. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But if we're going to walk in this legacy of the stealth ninja, there's three key lessons that we need to remember that were modeled by both Jesus and the Good Samaritan. The first thing we need to remember is perspective. See, a ninja is conditioned to see things that others cannot. Yes, they are. While some things that it's the karate skills of the ninja warrior that make him or her successful, it's actually not the most important part of their training. It's not. It's their vision that's most important. See, the lifeline of a ninja is their eyes because they use it to judge almost all information of their situation. In a crisis, they need to read the moves of, of the environment and their opponents in order to escape. And they also need to train themselves to slip in and out of the darkness without detection. So they need to see in the dark. As believers, we need to learn to discern things in the darkness. Because how else will we know where to shine our light? So we need to understand that ninjas spend time not only training their bodies, but they train themselves to see the world differently than others see it. In the example of the Good Samaritan, you had two individuals that were highly trained by the standards of culture. 
Although they were very well versed in the theological and religious practices of the day, the way they viewed the world was highly flawed. To the Samaritan, on the other hand, something about that guy made him relevant. Something about that guy made him important enough to stop and see if he needed help. See, because what made the difference to the Samaritan is that he didn't just see with his eyes, but he saw with his heart. He saw with his heart. See, it's only when we accept the intrinsic flaws in our own humanity that we can show grace to others. We cannot embrace someone else's otherness until we embrace ours first. What did I just say? It's understanding that any point we could be that injured person on the road and not only stopping to lament with that person, but we need to allow ourselves to feel their pain as if it is our own. So while others may focus on training in areas of technical profession, training for a degree program and other accolade, which is valuable, it's important. I would challenge us to think about how much time we spend training our hearts. See, because the Samaritan felt with his heart, he was able to see the humanity of his neighbor. Truth be told, how many times do we walk by because we refuse to see the pain and suffering of others. And I'm not just talking about the issue of homelessness, which is sometimes what these verses are relegated to as we think about this issue of walking by. But how often do we keep it moving in the face of the plethora of grievous injustices happening right here in our own backyard? Like the broken immigration system that threatens to break apart millions of families. Or what about the mass incarceration mega complex that systematically is locking up so many of our young men and our young women of color? Are we turning a blind eye to the opioid epidemic that is infiltrating our city? Or the wave of domestic violence right here in our own neighborhood? Are we walking by as our elderly brothers and sisters struggle to pay for their prescription medicine or while there's so many that are struggling with pre-existing conditions and and, and having their health care under attack day after day after day? How often are we like the priest, so worried about getting back to our comfortable church, so worried about getting back to our comfortable lives that we won't dirty our hands to help a person in need? How often do we turn the other way where our brothers and sisters are being victimized all around us? Many of us have become so desensitized that what we see no longer burdens our hearts. Just this week, for example, there's been much buzz on social media regarding the detainment of an Assemblies of God pastor from Los Angeles. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. Reverend Noe Carias was detained 
while reporting for one of his routine immigration check-ins. See, Reverend Noé ministers to a thriving church. He's married to a citizen and has two citizen children. His only crime was entering the country 25 years ago illegally. And since then, his lawyer has secured him what they call a stay of removal, which has been in effect for several years. Now, those of you guys that are not familiar with the terminology, a stay of removal is a temporary postponement, which prevents the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, from carrying out an order of removal while they try to find other legal options to allow that person to remain in the country. Now, we've been told by the administration at the White House, we've been told by the folks at the Department of Homeland Security that immigration enforcement would focus on threats to the community. Yet the detainment and potential deportment of Pastor Noé is incongruent with these priorities. Now, it's easy to say, that doesn't affect me. That's all the way on the other side of the country. I don't want to get involved. That's too political. I just want to clap and sing and worship my God without getting involved in all that justice stuff. Let's be real. There's some saying that. But friends, this is a pastor in our very own denomination. How can we not speak up in his time of need? How can we remain quiet when there's such an incongruence between what is being said and what is being done? Such a blatant injustice. See, most people don't realize that the Bible mentions the issues of poverty and justice over 2,000 times. I want us to understand that the vulnerable, the marginalized, the oppressed, what scripture calls the least of these, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, are all critical parts of the ministry of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus didn't come to present the status quo. Jesus came to present an upside-down gospel where the people whom the world had diminished, where the people whom the world had debased, where the people whom the world had degraded, where the people whom the world had devalued would be front and center in his ministry. Hallelujah. And to deny them is to deny the gospel message itself since that is what Jesus personified when he came on earth. He came not as a rich, powerful ruler, as a poor Galilean Jew. He didn't just see the least, the last, and the lost. He was the least, the last, and the lost. And if it mattered to him, it should matter to us. Come on, somebody. So we need to condition ourselves to see the world through Christ's eyes so that what breaks his heart, as I've told you guys before, breaks ours. It's not about just doing church anymore. We need to continue to look inside ourselves, correct what's wrong, and condition ourselves to see the world in this way. But we can't forget that you can't do that without ample nourishment. See, to ensure that their bodies move quickly and efficiently, ninjas adhere to a strict and lean diet. It was a highly disciplined way of life. 
Anybody who's run a marathon knows this. You can't just eat anything, right? You have a specific regimen that you need to follow. And so how often are we taking time to think about what we're nourishing our hearts and our minds with, right? Scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth shall speak. So what's in there? What are you nourishing that with? See, we've gotten so used to bits and pieces of McNugget theology that our faith cannot withstand in times of crisis. Faith in 140 characters will not prepare you to fight. You can't sit on Twitter all day reading your verse of the day and think that you're going to be ready to fight. Am I speaking to anybody today? We need meat and potatoes, hearty theological content, consistent time with God to get us ready. I don't know about you, but I don't understand how anyone could read scripture for any length of time and not be compared Compelled to love their neighbor. It's all throughout the pages. It's all throughout. So we need to take time to work on our perspective and condition ourselves to see the world differently. So perspective is important. The second thing is precision. See, ninjas know exactly how to respond to their surroundings. They don't react. They respond. See, beyond developing their sight, part of the training of the ninja is the development of their reflexes so that they respond to any situation. See, because a ninja, as I told you, has to slip in in and out of all different situations, they got to be ready, they got to be fast, they got to be agile, and they got to prepare themselves for a myriad of different circumstances. And the Samaritan knew just how to do that. He was prepared. He responded well. See, he didn't leave his house preparing to help someone on the road. He didn't get up that day and say, man, I just got to make sure I got to take enough stuff for that guy that I'm going to find. No, it was a surprise. The oil and the wine that he poured on this man was intended for another purpose. It wasn't for this man. And when the man was too injured to walk, he put the man on his own animal. What does that mean? That means that the Samaritan had to walk all the way back to the inn on foot across a steep and hilly road. So he inconvenienced himself, sacrificed to help this man. And then he puts whatever he had planned for that day to the side. He goes to the inn and continues to take care of the man. And he doesn't just bound to say, listen, wifey's waiting for me. She's cooking some arroz con gandules, some rice and beans. I got to get back. No. He stayed there overnight and continued to help him. And then he takes out two denarii. I want us to understand that's the equivalent of two days salary to cover this guy's expenses and cover what else he needs. He doesn't even give the innkeeper a financial cap. So what the Samaritan did was he didn't just see the man in need. He knew exactly what he needed to do. And there was no hesitation as he rearranged his life to help this man. He responded precisely, appropriately, and in a timely fashion. And this is an important lesson that we can all learn from. I remember growing up, there was a period of time where When we came from Puerto Rico, we lived in Bushwick for a little bit, and we were struggling. My mom was a single mom, 
At that time, she wasn't working, so she was on public assistance. And we lived in this modest little apartment in a tenement building in Bushwick, which was rough back then. And I remember one day, my mom, we're there getting ready for bed, and she hears this commotion in the hallway. Apparently, our next-door neighbor had invited a family friend of theirs to come to the US from the Dominican Republic with her three teenage children, promising them a place to stay. But because she was addicted to drugs and I had a number of different issues, when the women actually arrived, there was no place for her to stay. And so my mom hears this woman crying in the hallway, uh, uh, stranded with her three children, and she opens our door. And I was shocked, welcomes them into our home. Now, we barely had enough money to feed ourselves. But my mom wasn't going to leave them there. And they lived with us for a period of time while they got back onto, onto their feet. And that was not the last time that we took in a family in need, even with our modest income, our modest uh, 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 resources that we had. See, I think that's an important lesson that we need to learn. Some of us see people in need all the time. And yes, yes, we do respond in our own ways. We volunteer at outreaches. We donate to charity. We, we, we are here at the church when, whenever we need, we need you guys. But oftentimes, we give from whatever we have left over and not from what's sacrificial. Think about it. Why didn't the priest or the Levite stop? It was probably going to be too much of a hassle to them. See, in Jewish culture, contact with a dead body was considered to be defiling. And so if the guy was dead and the priest had gone over and touched him, he would have had to go back, stand by the eastern gate in Jerusalem, along with the rest of the unclean peoples. In addition to the humiliation that that would have caused the priest, the process of restoring ritual purity was time-consuming and it was costly. It required finding, buying, and reducing a red heifer to ashes, and the ritual took a full week. And it was in a private ritual. You had to stand on this cheese line with everyone else. <laughs> had to throw a little humor in there, make sure you guys are up. <laughs> And so it was more troubling to the priest that this guy could be dead and defiling, that perhaps he could be alive and in need of care. So he didn't want to bother. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. describes this situation in a way that I love. And hence, I've been to the mountaintop speech. This was the speech that he delivered the day before his death. And this is what Dr. King says. I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the bloody pass. And you know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over the man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. That's a good point. Or it's possible that they felt the, ground, the man on the ground was merely faking and he was acting like he had been robbed in order to seize what they had, to lure them there for a quick and easy seizure. So the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Mm. I want us to understand that the robbers hurt this man by violence, 
but the priest and the Levite by neglect. See, all three were guilty. Wow. All three were guilty. And so I challenge us today, what type of violence have we caused with our inaction? What have we walked by? What have we looked the other way to? When did we withhold good when it was in our power to do so? I can only imagine what would have happened to that family had my mom not taken them in. I'm not here to judge you because I battled and I struggled with this message before delivering it to you as God said, what are you doing? What are you walking by? What are you turning your cheek to? Brothers and sisters, times are changing. The world needs the prophetic voice of the church. Now more than ever, the question is, are we going to put our money where our mouth is? Hallelujah. Are we willing to sacrifice, be uncomfortable, or even go without for someone in need? Are we willing to lose our voice to give it up for someone who doesn't have one? Are we willing to give up our freedom to help someone in bondage? In the same way that God's word promises us that he will be our shelter, that he will be our strength, that he will be a mighty fortress in times of trouble. As his ambassadors, we need to be Jesus with flesh for someone going through a difficult time. Amen. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? And despite any challenges we may face, we have the power to give people the most important thing of all, love. Love. Because there's no better witness than the kind of radical love that transcends the barriers of our individual theological constructs and transforms the lives of the broken and the oppressed. See, it's not enough to grieve privately for our brethren under the bondage of injustice. We need to rise up and shine a light in the darkest places of our city. Say amen, somebody. Amen. So today... Today, let's make a commitment that we will no longer retract passively, that we will respond passionately unto every victim of systemic injustice has the resources that he or she needs to overcome until the shackles of deep-seated oppression have let loose their grip and until the most egregious sins against humanity are completely and, and absolutely eradicated. We are the church. This is the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We cannot call ourselves Christians and continue to look the other way. We must respond. We must respond. We must respond. It's time for us to rise up and be the church, not just go to church, not just talk about church, but be the church Amen. for the whole world to see. Hallelujah. It's time. It's time. So in addition to working on our perspective, in addition to working on our precision, the final thing we need to unlock if we're going to walk in the legacy of the stealth ninja is power. 
Because I'm here to tell you that even when we're hidden, we contain great strength. See, a true ninja practices the art of invisibility. They move through space without being notified and letting people know that they're there. Their strategic advantage remains in the fact that they're hidden. I'm here to tell you that sometimes God needs to keep you hidden until just the right moment. See, Jesus' illustration was so powerful. Why? Because of how little respect the Samaritans would get. See, no one expected him to be the hero of the story. Yet the fact that people didn't see the potential in the Samaritan didn't mean it wasn't there. So the fact that people don't recognize your potential doesn't strip you from it. Doesn't mean it's not there. You contain a great treasure inside of you. Let's bring it somewhere closer to home. Some of you guys may have heard me use this, but people's perception of Clark Kent didn't change the giftedness inside of him. It allowed him access to places that Superman probably wouldn't have had. Because while people were underestimating him as Clark Kent, as this goofy guy with the glasses, he had incredible strength inside of him. And when trouble went down, guess what? Superman was already on the scene. So being in the background doesn't mean that we don't fight. It means that we choose our battles strategically. So as tedious as it might feel right now being hidden, as tedious as it might feel, as painstaking as it might feel not being recognized, being hidden, being in the shadow, I'm here to tell you that God is preparing you for battle tomorrow. Look at King David, his own dad, his own father, didn't see the giftedness inside of him. Yet he was tackling bears and lions way before Goliath came on the scene. What about Joshua? He served at Moses' side and later led the Israelites to the promised land. What about Daniel? Daniel served the king, he learned the culture, and he remained hidden until it was time to bring resistance from where? From the inside. Esther. Esther was already in the palace when chosen by the king. She didn't just come on the scene, she was there. And what about Jesus, the ultimate stealth ninja of all time? coming in a form that nobody expected it, a poor Jewish carpenter born in a stable. And just like the Samaritan, Jesus was an outcast in the eyes of the lawyers, in the eyes of the priests, in the eyes of the scribes, in the eyes of the Pharisees, in the eyes of the Sadducees. He spent 30 years in the shadows. My goodness. Can you imagine that? But by waiting on God's timing, Jesus was able to declare war on culture from the inside. And for you and for me, the more underestimated we are, the more effective we become. Why? Because the enemy will never see us coming. Hallelujah. That should get you excited. That should get you excited. Even one of my favorite urban karate flicks illustrates this. How many have ever seen The Last Dragon? When you got the glow. 
The protagonist of that movie was this guy named Bruce Leroy, right? A little confused about his identity, but kind of this corny, lanky young man, right? That nobody saw coming. But at the end, who was the master? Not shown off, he was the master. Come on, guys, it's a classic. <laughs> I can relate to this idea of being underestimated. I've had the privilege of serving with American Bible Society for almost 13 years as well. And it's interesting because it's a large, affluent ministry, but I look a little different than the other leaders in the ministry, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and so there's times that I'm, I go and I represent the ministry and I'm not the right gender, I'm not the right skin color, I'm not the right age. I'm absolutely not at all what they've expected. There's times that I've gone into meetings with certain ministries that will remain unnamed. And when I come, no matter what bio I sent them, no matter what I tell them I've done, no matter who speaks on my behalf, I'm always la secretaria, the secretary. Yeah, it, it, it's happened. <laughs> There's other ministries where I'll go and uh, uh, we'll let them know in advance how many people are coming to visit them so that they can prepare. But magically, there's never a seat at the table for me. So all the men sit at the table and I sit off to the side. And so I can tell you guys stories about some of the things that I've seen and I heard, but I'm here to tell you that their ignorance doesn't change my anointing. I go in, I do my work, and I give God the glory. And so I'm here to tell you that how people react to you shouldn't dictate how you respond to your assignment. God has the last word, and we are accountable to him. Sometimes we become apathetic. Sometimes we just do things halfway because we feel like, oh, they don't care. They've pushed me to the side. God cares. God cares. See, the strongest trees spend years growing their roots underground. Before you see anything peak up, their roots are going down, their roots are going across, and they're setting a firm foundation. And it's deep in that dark soil, seemingly hidden away from the world, that this foundation is being set. On the other hand, while you see all the little weeds growing taller, hogging all the sunlight, taking up all the space, guess what? They're hollow on the inside. That's why you've never heard of a hundred-year-old weed. There's only hundred-year-old trees. Come on, let that sink in. So which will you be? That thing that shoots up quickly, takes up all the sunlight, takes up a bunch of space, but it's hollow on the inside? Or are you going to take your time hidden in the dark soil while God is giving you nourishment, while God is giving you training, while God is giving you everything you need so that when you soak up, there's nothing that can come and shake you, uproot you, or move you. Come on, somebody. As I close, I just want to remind all of you that you were called to make a difference. You were called to shake up this culture. You weren't called to come here every Sunday and sit and warm up pews. Each and every one of you has gifting, has potential, has, has things that only you can do for the kingdom. Your life matters. 
You are the next generation of stealth ninjas. You're going to unlock your potential as you harness the gifts of perspective, of precision, and you understand the power that is inside of you. I challenge you to see the world differently, not to walk by, but to learn to respond to the pain and suffering in your surroundings. I challenge you not to be afraid of being hidden in the darkness because you have an incredible power inside of you. Beloved, our nation is heading in a direction where we no longer have the luxury of keeping quiet. Our city, our neighborhoods, our nation needs a new generation of heroes to rise up. Not ones concerned with preserving their own religious traditions, but those who will rise up on behalf of the least, on behalf of the last, on behalf of the lost, just as Jesus commands us to. So I want to challenge you today. I don't know who's looked down upon you. I don't know who's spoken down to you. I don't know what person has told you that you can't that you won't, that you don't have this or that. I don't know who's told you that you've fallen short. I don't know who's backed you up in a corner and told you that you can only achieve a certain amount. But today, today, today is a day where we want to unlock that potential. And so I want to ask Isaac to please come help me. And what we want to do is right now is we want to open up the altar. If this message spoke to you, if you feel like you've been hidden, if you feel like you've been undervalued, if you feel like you've been looked past and you have potential inside you that you are ready to release, I want you to come up here, take a step of faith and allow God to unlock that door and release that potential for the world to see. Come on, come on, come on. This message was for somebody here today. Yes, we're going into a season of outreach. Yes, we have a, a, a backpack event coming up soon. Yes, yes, we want to motivate you to do that. But this is larger than that. Some of us have been coming to church and you've been a spectator in what's been happening. When God is saying, that's it, training is over. It's your time to rise up. I've deposited gifting inside of you and you can't sit on it. There are people that are being victimized. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are going through difficult situations and only you can reach them. Only you can understand them. Only you will be in the place, at the right place, and at the right time to reach them and pull them out of the pit that they're in. Or maybe, maybe what jumped out at you in this story is the guy laying on the road. Maybe that's how you're feeling today. Maybe you feel like you've been robbed. Maybe you feel like you've been beaten. Maybe you feel like you've been victimized. Maybe you feel like you've been abandoned. 
Maybe you feel like people have crossed the other side of the road and have abandoned you because they don't want to come near you. We serve a God that promises never to leave nor forsake us. So you are not alone. You are not alone. I don't know who you are, but you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let him keep you in isolation. Because that's what he wants, to make us targets. So I invite you, come on, come back, come back, come back, come back to the Lord. Come back to the Lord. Come back to the Lord. Don't believe the lie that you are alone. There's nothing too big that you could have done. Nothing too big that could have happened that would keep you from the love of God. And just like God found someone that was willing and courageous enough to help that man on the road, God has brought you here today. Brought you here today. You could have been somewhere else. You probably thought about going somewhere else. But God has brought you here. Brought you here. To let you know he hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't let you go. If that's you, I want to give you one other opportunity. I'm going to ask the pastors that are here, please come up and pray for folks as you're led. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. You don't need to struggle alone. You don't need to hurt alone. You don't need to go through the pain alone. You don't need to go through the rejection alone. You are not alone. You matter. 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 Oh, Father, we thank you for speaking in a powerful way this morning, my God. Oh, Lord, you see those of your sons and your daughters, Father, that feel like that man on the road, my God. Oh, Father, you see the ways that we've been robbed, Lord, of our hope, of our joy, Lord. You see those things that have robbed, Lord, our vision for the future, Lord. You see those things, Lord, that have victimized us, Lord. Oh, Father, you see those of us that feel like we're laying vulnerable, broken, and abandoned, my God. And so right now, Father, I pray, Lord, your healing balm to fall upon your people right now, my God. Bind up the wounds of your people, Lord, just like the Samaritan poured the oil and the wine on the wounds of the man laying. Lord, let your spirit come down upon your people right now in a powerful way, Lord. And bind up those wounds, Lord. I thank you, my God, that you have not left us, my God, even in our darkest moments, my God. Even in our lowest moments, Lord, where we feel the most vulnerable and naked, Lord, you are there. You are there. You are there. You are there. 
can you pick us up and carry us, Lord? And so I pray right now, Lord, for restoration amongst your people, Lord. Oh, send your spirit, send your spirit, send your spirit, Lord. Oh, to heal the wounds of trauma, Lord. Hear those deep-seated wounds of the heart, my God. Oh, Father, those things that have enslaved us, those things that have paralyzed us, my God, that baggage from yesterday that we're still carrying today, my God. My God, my God, my God. Help your people today, Lord. How he loves us right now over your people. I pray that you heal that disappointment. I pray that you heal that fear. I pray that you heal that anger. I pray you heal the wounds of rejection. I pray, Lord, you allow us to let go, Lord. Oh, Father, of that resentment we have against those people, Lord, that spoke bad about us, Lord. Oh, Father, those people that hurt us in such a deep way, Lord. We let it go to you. We let it go to you. We let it go to you. Heal your people, Lord. Heal your people right now. Oh, Father, you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the physician, Lord. And so we just pray for healing amongst your people right now. Bandage up those wounds. We pray, Lord, for each and every person, Lord, that hears my voice, Lord. I pray right now, Lord, that you stir up something new, Lord, that out of the ashes, my God, you ignite something that out of the ashes, Lord, that you take that, Lord, and you ignite a fire under your people today, Lord, that as they see themselves, they see the potential that you have put into them, Lord, that they are not what culture says, Lord. They are what you says. Our identity comes from you, Lord. You have defined us, Lord. And you have already established, Lord, good works, great works for us to do, my God. And so right now, oh, stir up your people, Lord, that they have come in, Lord, broken, but they might leave as your warriors, as a mighty army, Lord, that's going to be assault and light in this community, Lord, that is not going to walk by the systemic injustice that they see. They're not going to walk by the pain and the hurt. They're going to remember their pain and their hurt, and they're going to use it, Lord, as fuel to help others who are going through pain and who are going through hurt, Lord. I thank you that your people today are going to stand up, Lord, with new courage. Lord, they're going to stand up with new resilience. They're going to stand up with new determination, Lord. They're going to stand up with new vision for their lives, Lord, as they step forward to be the mighty men and the mighty women that you've called for them to be, Lord. And I come against fear. I come against the lies of the enemy, Lord, because he has no place. These are your sons and these are your daughters. And so right now, Lord, right now, new strength, new courage, Father, that we might do incredible things for your glory and for your honor and all 
these things we pray in the name that is above all names, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 You are the next generation of stealth ninjas. You are the next generation of heroes. So rise up and walk in that. Rise up and walk in your purpose. Rise up and walk in new courage and new strength because God is going to use you to do incredible things. Amen.